All right, so um, really quick this morning, three basic things we're going to look at related to stewarding our treasure. The first is making the decision to be a steward, making the decision. Will I do that? Will I live life that way? And then secondly, we learn how to manage that decision. And God calls us to manage that decision two ways. We steward faithfully and we steward with wisdom. We steward faithfully and with wisdom. This is something we briefly hit on a couple weeks ago, and we're going to unpack it a bit more this morning. So first of all, making the decision to live as a steward of his money. Um, I want to share a story with you. This story is found in several of the Gospels. It's in, it's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. It's in Mark 14 and in John 12. And we'll look at a couple verses together, but I just want to recap the story for you. So Jesus is getting pretty close to his death. He's been, been ministering, teaching, healing for about three years. And several months prior to this event, he had shown up in a town called Bethany because his friend Lazarus was sick and had died. And if you're familiar with the story, Jesus showed up and said, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man came out of the grave and lived again. And so Jesus has now returned to that town and he's having a meal um, kind of in Lazarus's honor, they're having a meal. And so Lazarus is there and his sisters, Mary and Martha are there. And a lot of folks in that town have gathered. And in the course of this meal, a woman walks in with an incredibly expensive, what's called an alabaster jar or an alabaster glass of perfume. And to open this, it wasn't just as simple as opening the top. This thing was designed to, to not be opened until it was going to be used. And so you'd actually break it open. So at great cost, lavish expense to herself, this woman comes in. And what's, what's interesting, some of the versions say she anointed his feet with it. Some say his head. And I, I love that picture of just she poured out this lavish expense on her master, on Jesus. And then to complete the act, she got down on her hands and knees and used her hair to dry the oil that she had poured on his feet. I mean, I can't imagine a more stunning act of extravagance, of humility. I mean, I, I'm trying to even fathom, like, my wife taking her hair and wiping my feet with it. Does that make anybody else kind of go, ugh? You know, I think sometimes we lose sight of the specific practical thing that's happening. A woman came into a room and like, this isn't my like American feet that have been in like some loafers or something all day. This is like a Jewish guy <laughs> 2000 years ago who's walking around in sandals and dusty, dirty roads. Like, okay, I'm just getting real. But she, she was worshiping and adoring her Savior, she was remembering what he had done for her brother, Lazarus. She's just in awe of him and pours out this gift. Now, I'd love to tell you the story ended there, but it doesn't. Several of his disciples, like the, the, the guys who know him, the insiders are with him, and they begin to grumble about what she's doing. And in fact, one of the versions said they actually scolded her and said, what a waste. This should have been used to help the poor. And so I, I want to unpack this a little bit because on the surface, it may not appear to be a money issue, but there is something about Mary's heart and there's something about the heart of some of these other disciples, Judas specifically, that I think we need to see because this, this really hinges on the point of how do I approach 
what I've received from God and what I, how I view it, what I do with it. And so first I want to look at Mary. So really specifically, let's look at John chapter 12, verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive. Can you all say expensive? Expensive. Expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. There's three things I see here. Number one, it was expensive. It was lavish. She gave her best. You know, I don't know the specifics of what this must have cost, but it was a big enough deal that the disciples were gasping. Are, are you kidding me? You're taking that and you're just, you're throwing it away in worship? They were in awe. The second thing I see is the unbelievable humility that Mary has to get down on her hands and knees to wipe his feet with her hair. But, but I love the last thing, and I'm, I'm sure it's meant to say practically the perfume had a wonderful smell. But do you see that? The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. I just have to say to you, if we choose to live our life in such a way that I recognize Jesus as my glorious Savior and that whatever he's given me is, is something I can use to glorify and worship him, if I'm not worried about the expense or the cost, if I walk in humility, you know what your house is going to be like? It's going to be a house filled with the fragrance of the goodness of God. Um, I, was, I was thinking about this this week. One of my favorite things as a kid was when we'd, we'd go to church on a Sunday morning and we'd come home and, you know, especially when you're a kid, like the preacher just talks too long. Any, any kids in here already agreeing with me this morning? It's okay. You can agree. My, my daughter's hand is up the highest. Like the preacher just talks too long. And on Sundays, you eat lunch later than any other day of the week. Right? Like, have y'all? Yes? No? Yeah. Like, I'm hungry by Sunday afternoon. And so we'd get home. And my parents were one of those people. They were always really involved in church. So, I mean, it'd be like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock before lunch. And I was starving. And so my favorite thing, though, would be to come home and every now and then my mom had prepared a pot roast before church and had put it in the oven and it was slow cooking all morning. And as we'd approach the front door before we were even in the house, that smell of that roast was like coming under the cracks of the door. And it was just like however hungry I was before the smell hit me, I was starving at that point. I see a lot of nodding heads. Y'all can relate. I probably shouldn't be talking about food getting this close to lunch. Um, but that smell, it just was, it was awesome. It was like a lavish feast was laid out before us. That's the picture in my mind. And it was attached to that smell. That's the picture God is giving us. When things are in the right order, when I recognize who he is and who I am, and I approach him with a sense of, of gratitude and generosity and humility, when I put him in the proper place in my life, the aroma of my life is that beautiful, sweet smell. That's the picture. The opposite of that is our buddy Judas. And the very next verse coming right off of this beautiful, wonderful aroma, this beautiful picture of God's love that had been poured out on this family and, and Mary's response of worship and gratitude, the immediate thing we see next, John chapter 12, verse 4. 
But Judas Iscariot, anybody know who Judas was? Yeah. You know. <laughs> Judas Iscariot. Like we, we know in advance, so we know where this is coming, but like he hadn't betrayed Jesus yet. He'd spent three years of his life, day in and day out, walking around with the Savior, the Messiah, this incredible man who loved people, who gave of himself, who worked miracles. He knew him. And Jesus had even given him a place, a purpose, a responsibility. Judas's job was actually caring for the resources of Jesus, the finances. That was his job. And so here he is walking alongside Jesus. And look what happens. John 12, verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Oh, so he had high, lofty aspirations of being generous and giving to the poor. And it's just being wasted in worship of Jesus. Verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas's attitude was scolding, judgmental. And the truth was he was, he was a phony. He was a hypocrite, and he ultimately was a thief. I mean, he was specifically, personally, robbing from the money basket. This would be like stopping by that little box over there every now and then and just snatching some extra cash out of there. Like, that should make, like, of course I wouldn't do that. And these feel like such extreme examples. Like, Mary's lavish example and Judas's opposite of lavish examples, stingy, stealing, thieving. Like, what an extreme. Jake, what does this have to do with us being good stewards? I'm not Judas. I'm not betraying Jesus, stealing from the money bag. Like, like what does this have to do with this? I, I want you to see something. I want you to see where the story goes and then see how this connects to something else Jesus talked about. If we go over to Matthew's gospel, he kind of finishes telling the story. And in verse 13 of Matthew 26, Jesus talking about Mary, he's corrected the disciples thinking for scolding her. And this is what he says about her. He says, truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus said her response to my love is so important and so meaningful, I'm going to attach that story of her worshiping and loving me with the gospel message of my life given for you. Mary was remembered for what she had done. She lived a memorable life because of her attitude. Unfortunately, Judas was remembered too. And it was this very action by Mary and Jesus' response to it that led to what Judas did. Check this out, verse 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and he said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Mary's lavish response to Jesus and Judas's stingy, self-focused, what-am-I-getting-out-of-it mentality led him ultimately to betray Jesus. 
It's devastating. They're both remembered. Mary celebrated, Judas is scorned. So this, this seems extreme. Why is this our, our story this morning about making a choice whether we'll steward what he gives us or not? Because Jesus said something else really extreme, directly connected to money. We looked at this whole passage a couple weeks ago, but I want to hone in on one specific verse. Luke 16, verse 13. Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. What is he talking about? He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is like the, the worship or idolization of money, of resources. Jesus is giving us a, a very direct picture. You will hate one and love the other. You will despise one and be loyal to the other, but you're going to choose. You're going to choose. And this might happen slowly, steadily, surely. But we have a decision to make about how we approach life. Am I a person who lives in such a way that I recognize that all that I have, all that I've been given comes from him and I live in response to that, worshiping him and stewarding what he's given me well? Or do I live as if I'm on my own and am, I'm my own king and what I'm going to get from this life is whatever I'm able to grasp or fight for or get a hold of and I'm going to spend it how I see fit. And the end result of the choice we make plays out in such a way that we may very well one day find ourselves completely selling out to the master that we serve. There's no middle ground. There's a, there's a decision to make about how I approach my life and then how I approach my life will play itself out. Is this making sense? This is, I realize this is hard. This is big. But this starts with a decision. And so I just want to say um, we, we can do this. We can be good stewards. We can grow into people that become generous, grateful givers. And it starts with a choice. So we need to make the decision. Now, the beauty of this is it's not complicated or difficult to be a steward. It requires two things. It requires two things. So we're moving to our second point now. Once I've made the decision, now I have to manage the decision. Now, this is a principle that applies across all of our life. Kids in the room, this applies to you. I can make the decision. I'll give you an example. I, I've been trying to diet a little bit since January. And so I made the decision. I'm going to count some calories, and I want to lose a little bit of weight. That, that works out great till I go to Memphis with my friend for the weekend and don't manage that decision well at all. I'm in, like, the home of barbecue, and there's Dyer's cheeseburgers. And like, I did not, this, this past weekend, I did not manage this decision well while I spent a couple days in Memphis. All right? I can make the decision all day long that I'm going to do it, but then every single day I have to walk out. I have to make little decisions each day to follow through with the choice that I've made. Does that make sense? And so the way that we do that. The first way is we decide, I want to be a faithful steward. I want to be a faithful steward. Jesus is talking about this in Luke chapter 12. And he tells this, this parable about these guys that were faithfully preparing for the day when their master would return. So that they were ready when he got there. They had been, been literally managing what he had given them well. 
And at the end of the parable, he tells, you know, Peter, I love Peter, man. He's just super honest. He just looks at things very practically. And he's like, Jesus, who's that story for? Check it out. Luke 12, 41. Peter says in verse 41 of Luke 12, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Like, like who's this for? Is this for everybody? Do I not have to worry about this one? What's this story about? And, and the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. He says, this is for anybody that will make the choice. If you will choose to be faithful and serve what your master asks you to do, you'll be blessed. And so the way we faithfully steward our money is this, knowing our master and obeying him. Knowing our master and obeying him. It's not complicated. It's a daily choice. What, what the problem is for, for a lot of us, it's easy to base our decision making on principles, on rules, on ideas. But God's inviting us into a relationship where I can know him and I can walk with him. And because I know him, I'm actually just obeying what he said today. And so as it relates to our money and what I'm doing with my resources, the right step is not to try to figure out what's the whole complete list of everything I do. It's to know my master. Let me know and cultivate a relationship with Jesus. Um, there's a couple ways to train people. I've had some experience in this in my life where there's some people kind of working under me and I was training them to actually replace me. And it would have been easy for me just to sit down and go, okay, what are all the things I do? Let me type it out. Let me give the instructions, hand them the list and say, go for it. Or what I could do is say, hey, come hang out with me and let's do this together for a while. You watch what I'm doing. Let's, let's work together. And what happens is as we work like that, they're not just getting the list, they're getting the heart behind it. And they have the resource of a person right there that they can ask questions to. They can observe how I'm doing something. Why did you do it that way? How'd you do it that way? What's going on there? And we can process together. It's a relational approach. This is what Jesus is inviting us into. Are you guys familiar with, with the statement, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? That's something Jesus said. He's saying, when you follow and obey me, it's not meant to be difficult. I'm so grateful for John Corson. He gives this great picture of a yoke and what Jesus would have been referring to at the time. When, when you were training a, an oxen, a young ox to help pull a plow, what you would do is you would yoke them up with a veteran and you'd put them together with the yoke. And what would happen is that veteran oxen would just know how to do it. Here's the pace, here's the steps, here's the rhythm, and he would just go. And the way the yoke was designed, if the young oxen walked in step with him, it was smooth and easy. If he tried to race ahead, it would pull at his neck and make him uncomfortable. If he got lazy and drug his feet, he'd be in pain, kind of get pulled like this. And so he would learn how to properly work because he would learn to walk in step with the older oxen and it would teach him how to go. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's not asking us to rush out there and go do crazy things. You know, we talk about being generous and giving. 
I don't have a specific idea in mind for you of what that means. Here's some really large amount and you need to go find somebody this week to give it to. I'm saying Jesus is a giving, generous God who's lavished on us. And he's inviting us to learn how to walk with him and he'll lead us along the way. Um, I had an opportunity several years back when I was a youth pastor. There was a young man who'd grown up in our youth group and he was about 19 years old and um, his parents had gone through a divorce and he was, he was in a position where in a lot of ways he was doing man of the house kind of stuff. And he was, he was just an awesome young guy. But my heart broke for him. Like this kid should not at 19 have to be doing man of the house type stuff. And so he was helping support his family, getting a job. And he just had this car that was breaking down constantly. He didn't even have a way to get to work regularly. And so I just felt like as clear as day, it wasn't some audible voice or anything, but I just felt really strongly, I'm supposed to help this kid get a car. I had no money to buy this kid a car. I was on a youth pastor's salary. Like I, I did not have the resources to help him. I just couldn't shake that thought. And so I just said, okay, God, like, I feel like you're saying to do this. I want to do this for this kid. And so let me figure this out. And so I prayed, I talked to Amy, what can we afford to give? And we figured that out. And then I went to a couple of buddies of mine that knew this kid and we, and just told them what was on my heart and would they consider. And so three or four guys ended up jumping and saying, yeah, we want to be a part of that. And then I called a guy I knew at our church who ran a used car lot. And I said, hey, Here's what we're working on. I need something reliable that's going to be good for, the, for this kid. And so he goes, man, I got you covered. Scrape together whatever you can get. We can do it. And here was the coolest thing. I think I contributed like two or 300 bucks. We got a car that was worth like five or $6,000 from this guy. All these people chipped in in different ways. It was so cool and exciting. And so the day it was going to happen, I had just told this young man, just, hey, I want to come hang out with you a little bit. Come, come over to the church. And so we had it lined up where the, the, the guy from um, the used car dealership was going to have the car parked in one spot of the church and we were going to come through the other side. And so we come walking out of the church doors under the porch and there's this car there. And here's how cool this was. My friend had even brought one of those big bows that you see on the car commercials and put it on top of the car. And this young kid's looking, he's like, what's, what's going on right now? And we just got to look at him and say, buddy, we love you. We believe in you. We're proud of you. And you need to know God provided this. This went way beyond our ability and resource. God provided this. Here's the keys. Go on. Now, I don't give cars away all the time. I didn't decide I'm going to be the car giveaway guy that once a month figures out how to, just specifically in that moment, God had laid something on my heart and I didn't even feel like I had the ability or resource to do it. But I just said, God, I'm going to take a step, use what I have, and I want to participate in this. And I mean, it is one of the most memorable things in my life is watching this kid just tears in his eyes going like, man, and it was so bigger than the money, guys. It was Men in this young man's life were validating him and saying, we're proud of you, we believe in you, God sees what you're doing, and we love you. When, when we choose to walk in a relational way with Jesus, he will invite us into things like that. And so the, the first step to stewardship is not learn a thousand verses on how we use money. It's know Jesus. Know him as a good, giving, generous God. Acknowledge that all that you have belongs to him 
And when things come up, just choose to obey and watch what he does. And it'll be miraculous to see what takes place. I love this quote by Andrew Murray, and I'm going to wrap up this section with this. Andrew Murray, talking about the value and importance of obedience, he says, where does disobedience come from? Why don't we obey? Why does that get so difficult? And he says, the answer comes, it is because I'm trying to obey a distant Christ, and thus his commands do not come with power. We settle for just following a list of rules instead of knowing God and learning his heart and developing the ability to hear and recognize his voice in our life and say yes to him. You have the capacity to know God. That might sound foreign to you. That might feel scary to you. You might think, I don't have any idea how to hear his voice. He made you. You're his kid. He loves you. And he wants to help you develop a relationship. I I can say to you personally, if you feel stuck and want some help or encouragement, man, come talk to me. I'd love to encourage you in that a little bit, but we can learn how to hear God's voice and obey him. And so that's how we become faithful stewards, not trying to figure out on our own what we're supposed to do, but knowing him and walking with him. Okay, last thing. The third thing. So we make the decision, then we manage the decision by being faithful stewards. We also manage the decision by being wise stewards. There is stuff to learn, but we learn it personally. We learn it relationally. And so as I'm walking with Jesus and I'm getting to know my master, I then come to his word and say, God, in a real personal way, would you make this come alive? And one of the ways God has talked to me over the years is not just reading the scripture because I have to, but reading and going, God, if there's something you want to say to me about my life through this, would you, would you do it? And there are times where something just leaps off the page and I know that's for me right now. And so I want to give you some examples of topics in the Bible because it's, it's full of information about money and finances and how we can learn to be wise stewards. And so here's some examples of some topics in the Bible on money. Um, learning to be content. Anxiety. I'm sure I'm the only one that's ever dealt with financial anxiety. It's probably just me. No, God teaches us how to address when we're anxious with our money. He talks to us about greed. And... I don't know about you, but I tend to think of greed as being like people that are way wealthier than me that have lots of stuff. That's not the root of greed. In fact, the same New Testament word for greed is coveting. Wanting something I don't have. Being desperate for it. Being jealous of it. Being judgmental of other people because they've got something and I don't understand why I don't have it. You can have a lot or you can have a little and struggle with greed. But the Bible addresses it. How we, can, how we can grow and not have greed. The Bible talks about debt. You know, if you've ever listened to Dave Ramsey, you know the phrase, the borrower is slave to the lender. Anybody know that phrase? Listen, that's just a statement of fact. If you have debt, there's something hanging over you and you owe that to somebody. So the Bible talks about debt and has a lot to say about it. The Bible talks about hard work. Can I just tell you one of the most important things you can do with your money is work hard for it. If you are a good, faithful worker, you'll be provided for. The Bible talks about that, hard work. The Bible talks about saving. It talks about how not to save, like I'm basing all of my sense of security in money. But it also tells me that I should be wise to save. It actually talks about 
thinking about the seasons and being aware of the seasons and using harvest season to work hard and faithfully gather and then also to think about how to make that last through the winter. The Bible talks about saving. The Bible talks about being generous, caring for the poor, widow, orphan. The Bible actually talks about having oversight, being really aware of your, your money, your business, your resources, and being very in tune with how it's all doing. It's so funny, I wasn't even thinking about this at the time, but had a little conversation with Brennan's dad this morning. He's got an orange grove in Florida. And based on our conversation, I can tell you, he has oversight over that grove. He knows in depth what is happening there because he's paying attention to it. I wonder how often we're really paying attention to what we're doing with our money and where it's going. God calls us to have some wisdom and have oversight over our money. He tells us to invest, to use our money wisely. These are topics throughout scripture. Now, everything I just said, if you're looking for a place to start, I've got the scripture references in my notes for all of those topics. That'd be a cool place to start if you're looking for somewhere to grow in wisdom. To say, Jesus, I want to walk with you personally and I want to grow in these areas. Um, it's been estimated that there's around, or actually there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that are related to money and possessions. I'd say there's a lot of wisdom to be learned. In fact, a few folks have even done some math and they estimate that about 15% of what Jesus talked about was directly related to money. I bet we don't think about that when we're looking at the Gospels. Jesus had a lot to say about money. So there's topics, there's verses. Um, so I want to I close by just giving y'all a little bit of, of direction, a little bit of clarity. And this is something I've, I've kind of seen in my life. We talked about tithing last week. And I just want to say um, stewardship is about the full 100% of everything that we have. Tithing is, is an important discipline to say, God, I'm giving you 10, but God's interested in the full 100. But here's something I've noticed in my life. If you purpose to tithe, it can actually help force you to do some other things you should be doing. If I'm going to be disciplined enough to give 10% of my money away, I got to really be pretty disciplined about how I'm going to make it work with the other 90. And so I've actually found in my life that by choosing to tithe, it also then teaches me to budget, to think about how I'm going to meet the needs of my family. I mean, part of generosity is I need to take care of my own house. I've, I've met people that have weird views of generosity. That means I'm, me and my kids and my family are going to be super poor. We're going to give everything away. My first responsibility is to my wife and kids. I want to teach them about God's generous heart. And, and also, I want to give generously to others. And so practicing the tithe begins to, to put some things in proper balance. I learn how to avoid debt. I learn how to balance saving versus spending. Um, and so it kind of creates a mentality that requires me to have some discipline. Now, there's a reason I talked about wisdom after I talked about being faithful. If we forget the personal component of walking with Jesus and we just go, let me get really legalistic about my money and how I approach it, we're missing the boat. But if I come to Jesus as my, my Savior, my God, the one who loves me and he has stuff to teach me about everyday practical things in my life, and then I approach his word that way, he has a lot to say that can bring wisdom into my life where I can have a house that's filled with that sweet aroma. God is worshiped here, he's king here, and I'm honoring him with what I have, and I'm learning day by day how to be faithful and wise with what I've been given. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are a good, generous, loving God. 
I thank you that you care about us enough that you speak into every single aspect of our lives. God, would you help us to make the choice, make the decision to realize that we are stewards and everything that we have does come from you. And then, God, I pray that we would manage that decision day by day as we grow in our relationship with you, as we become faithful stewards by simply knowing you and obeying you. And then, Jesus, I pray we would grow in wisdom as we learn what you have to say about how we can honor you with our money, how we can steward it well, to be a blessing to others, to worship you, to meet the needs of our immediate family, and to love others outside of our homes as well. God, would you continue to shape and mold us to be generous people who live from a place of gratitude. We love you. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.